Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Paranoid Strain. This is an episode in the middle of our long-term, multi-part examination of the history, philosophy, and implications of human interactions with non-human intelligence. We call it unidentified because we're fancy, but you can think of it as our big UFO series. If this is your first ever episode, you might want to skip back to unidentified number one in the RSS feed to get the whole story. Please note some of the voices you hear, especially celebrities, are generated by AI because we feel it makes our book excerpts and other quotes more interesting. Rest assured that Fearful, Dana, and our interviewees are always us real humans, and we'll never cut that corner now or in the future. Returning Straniacs, we have a few requests. First, please email us at theparanoidstrain at gmail.com with feedback. We love it. If you use Facebook, please look up and join our friendly, active group. We also set up a YouTube channel, mostly just to help people find out about the podcast. But if you could subscribe, ring the bell, and play a couple of episodes in the background as you work, that would help us show up in the algorithm for folks that might enjoy us and swell our unholy ranks of fans. Finally, anyone who wants to go that extra mile is invited to join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the paranoid strain. If you subscribe at the $5 tier, I will eventually mention you in one of these intros, embroiling you in an imaginary conspiracy theory, as I'm about to do for... Zachary Jenkins, pseudonym The Boogerman. Very few people know this, but he got that moniker when he was cast in a 20-teens reality show following real-life comic book-style heroes who stopped crime simply by showing up. Each episode followed Zach and his fellow vigilantes Miss Emetic, Weeping Eczema, and Poop Splosion as they arrived at in-progress crime scenes where the perpetrators would immediately lose their criminal motivation, their will to live, and usually their lunches in the presence of our visually and olfactorily distressing heroes. Unfortunately, the show was canceled three episodes in when the crew walked off en masse. Pro tip, Zach still autographs publicity photos for the superfans, if you ask nicely. But please, not at restaurants, okay? Even celebrities deserve some privacy. Thanks to all of you patrons for supporting us directly, and to all of the rest of you for listening and sharing. It means the world to us. Now, let's get this show on the road. Paranoid Strain Orchestra, hit it. something that might tickle the memories of the over 40s in my audience. It was certainly one of the first mainstream messages I heard that involved UFOs. Northern Texas, an unidentified flying object is reported by at least a dozen people. Although there were no storms in the area, it's dismissed as lightning. 
Now, Time Life Books announces an important new library, Mysteries of the Unknown, a series that explores the most controversial phenomena of our time and tells you everything that can be known. This was, as some of you are no doubt recalling, one of a series of ads touting a hardcover-by-mail book delivery service promoted by the Time Life Publishing Company in the late 80s and early 90s. And if you were homesick from school in the United States watching midday TV, these commercials were virtually unavoidable. Having said that, I'm surprised I don't remember this one, featuring a very foxy pre-fame Julianne Moore. I would never have believed it until one night I woke up around 3 o'clock in the morning. I felt something cold against my shoulder. It was the ceiling. I was looking down at my own body. Doesn't make any sense to me. I wouldn't believe it for a second. I don't know. I dreamt something once and it came true the next day. Maybe there is something to it. It's all just coincidence. That's what I think. There's a word for it. The paranormal. And it's one of the biggest issues of our age. Now, Time Life Books brings you Mysteries of the Unknown that looks into every area from ESP to precognition to alien encounters to give you all the sides. I never thought I would believe in it until it happened to me. To order your first book. Those don't ring a bell? Let's try this one, which, if I recall correctly, created a sort of pre-internet verbal meme around the time of its airing. Can you sense when something's about to happen? Well, yeah, I mean, everyone's a little psychic, but... Uh, what about UFOs? I don't know. Lots of people swear they've seen them. Ever experienced deja vu? Sort of. Ready for this? Mystic places? Uh-huh. It's from Time Life. Talks about things like the Nazca Mines. Were they runways for alien spaceships? And did those aliens interbreed with the ancient Peruvians? Did they? Read the book. Read about Aleister Crowley and his bride. They spent a honeymoon night in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. What happened? Read the book. Read about Cyrus Teeth's belief that people live in the center of the earth. Admiral Burt looked into it. Know what he found? I know. Read the book. Read Mystic Places. It's yours free for 10 days. If you keep it, other volumes will follow one about every other month. I've decided. I'm ready to order. The books? The books. And the food. Waiter? I presume that meme was read the book. It certainly was at my high school, though given our graduation rate, that might have been intended ironically. This commercial is definitely the first time I ever heard of the Nazca lines, and almost certainly the first time I ever heard of the suggestion that a group of super-advanced extraterrestrials came to Earth and built monumental structures without leaving a single trace of their presence. This theory, of course, hinges on the premise that our ancient forebears were definitely too dumb to do these things themselves, and compounds this bald assertion with further unwarranted allegations, perhaps the worst of which is that the believers' ungrounded fantasies are far more credible than the carefully assembled scientific explanations for this admittedly magnificent history. This, of course, is the core claim of the ancient alien school of thought, a pseudoscientific fantasy that has only grown in popularity and influence over the 30-plus years since those commercials aired. Ancient aliens, in turn, slots into a broader tapestry of motivated reasoning that purports to turn pretty much all of the historical sciences, plus planetary and solar system astronomy, on their ears, reinterpreting the writings of earlier cultures in the light of a combination of modern discoveries, human technological advancements, and wishful thinking. We touched on one of the strands of this doctrine. He would call it revisionism, but that term refers to a genuine and useful tool in the fields of history, archaeology, anthropology, and other sciences. 
And it seems a bit unfair to tarnish it by association here. Like, you wouldn't call flat earthers orbital mechanics revisionists or Holocaust deniers war crime revisionists, even though your failure to do so hurts the fee-fees of science skeptics and Nazis. Yeah, we touched on this flapdoodle in our moon landing episode, which, in addition to debunking the claim that Neil Armstrong and company's exploits were performed under the direction of Stanley Kubrick on a desert soundstage, also tackled other sorts of crankery regarding our closest celestial neighbor, including that argued by psychoanalyst. Note that he did not say astronomer, physicist, or any other qualification that might actually indicate engagement with the science governing the solar system. Emmanuel Velikovsky. To briefly synopsize Mr. Velikovsky's conjectures, they leveraged ancient mythology to posit an alternate cosmology for our neck of the galactic woods. Specifically, because Venus emerged from the forehead of Jupiter in Roman mythology, Velikovsky suggested that the planet Venus was ejected from the planet Jupiter within the past several thousand years, and that this event was dutifully chronicled by Greeks and Romans, who then personified what they witnessed into the gods and goddesses story that passed down to us today. I know I already expressed this in the Moon episode, but fuck that stupid. Which is exactly what qualified scientists said, albeit in less colorful terms, when, after years of pestering the relevant authorities to take his raving seriously, Velikovsky eventually published all of his wild assertions in the upsettingly popular 1950 book, Worlds in Collision. I would be shocked if the most famous of the ancient astronauts' proponents, Eric von Daniken, wasn't influenced by Velikovsky's success. After all, he followed the Russian psychiatrist's playbook two decades later, publishing his own foundationless bloviations in a tome aimed at a popular audience because, just like Velikovsky, the scientific authorities had laughed him out of the room. That book, which would have a cultural impact that eventually dwarfed Worlds in Collision, was 1968's Chariots of the Gods? Hear how that sounded like a question? Von Daniken put a question mark at the end of his title as if humbly submitting a cautious thesis for consideration. Unfortunately, the book, notable more for its overweening arrogance than anything else, was neither humble nor cautious. Upon publication, von Daniken's book instantly became a runaway bestseller, launching a veritable publishing phenomenon, with Wikipedia pegging the sales of this and his many subsequent books at 70 goddamn million copies as of 2017. 70 million? Jeffrey, are you sure you don't want to switch sides here? I mean, sure, you'd be selling your soul, but it looks like the price is pretty good. Damn you, conscience. It's a real hindrance because the new studio kitten would love a solid gold litter box. Alas. Copycat books on similar subjects began appearing immediately and essentially haven't stopped since. And of course, filmmakers were quick to jump on the bandwagon. A West German company released a cash-in documentary that was translated into English and distributed in 1973 by Sun Pictures. Apparently, Von Daniken wasn't a big enough name to be front and center in the film, or even to get any input on the script based on his book. But the man's unmistakable combination of arrogance about his own perspicacity and outrage at the very idea that someone might question his conclusions shines through. We know, for instance, that in our galaxy alone, as many as 50 million stars could support a highly developed form of life. It's quite possible that our own planet, at some remote moment in its past, had a visitor from one of these 50 million stars. The world-renowned rocketry expert, Werner von Braun, has stated, 
I hold as a definite probability the existence of not only animal and vegetal life in the infinite reaches of the universe, but also that of intelligent beings. Professor Herman Oberth, the father of interplanetary travel, told us this. I believe that it's possible for unknown foreign beings of a superior intelligence to have visited our planet at a remote point in time. Scientists are quick to adopt a negative attitude towards new ideas. When the railroad was invented, they protested that humans were incapable of withstanding speeds of over 20 miles an hour. Jasper is a little irritated that the film uses the the trains are too fast for human bodies to withstand example of technological doomerism to support its thesis, as the story is actually true, and a go-to example Fearful himself uses whenever someone argues that a new technology is ipso facto making society worse by its very existence. It does bother me, just a little. So, who was this Von Daniken guy, and how did he come up with such revolutionary, impactful theories? Second answer first, he actually wasn't the first person to propose many of the core ideas he argues. He took existing, made-up stories by non-researchers and packaged them for a broad audience. But it was his unique combination of very low evidence standards and nearly Trumpian levels of confident self-promotion and aggrandizement that caught fire with the undiscerning reading public. But of course, this show isn't in the business of concise answers, so let's dive deeper into the personality, life experience, and research methods that led to his preeminence in the made-up discipline of ancient aliens theory. Most of the early biography is quoted from a 1974 Playboy interview with EVD Jesuit managed to track down. But don't be too impressed, because he got the link to this interview via Wikipedia. A few additional flourishes are provided by The Space Gods Revealed, a concise but devastating 1976 book by Ronald Story, which gleefully tears apart from Daniken and his ilk. Quick additional note, I was incredibly pleased to learn that the interviewer dispatched by Playboy to interrogate the charlatan was none other than Timothy Ferris. Not the four-hour workweek guy, the brilliant science writer, author of The Whole Shebang, one of my favoritest science books ever, ever, ever. Check it out, he's great. The Playboy Stories sardonic introductory sketch deftly characterizes the 39-year-old, quote, stocky Swiss ex-convict's popularity as falling, again, quote, somewhere between streaking and the exorcism craze, which I would nominate as most 1974 sentence ever written. You might have buried the lead there. Von Daniken is an ex-con? Yes, ma'am. At 19, he was pinched for stealing, earning a suspended sentence and an examining psychiatrist's clinical note stating that lying came easy to young Eric. While on a subsequent trip to Egypt, Playboy notes he played a part in a jewelry deal that, upon his return to Switzerland, netted him his first prison stint. Yes, I said his first. He managed to hold down a job after his release, spending the next 12 years working as, pardon my French, an hotelier. Though, his real passion was working on the book that would eventually become Chariots. This work, naturally, required him to jet around the world on research trips. This jet setting, I presume, led to a subsequent arrest? Quoting the article directly, because it's delicious. The authorities began to wonder how an hotelier of modest means could afford it. The answer appeared to be that he was spending other people's money. By the time prosecutors caught up with him in Vienna, returning from another junket, he was in debt to the tune of $130,000, money a Swiss court ruled he obtained by falsifying hotel books. Von Daniken was convicted of repeated and sustained acts of embezzlement, fraud, and forgery, and served a year in prison. At his trial, a court-appointed psychiatrist described him as a liar and criminal psychopath. Nope, you're not imagining it. That was an AI Hugh Hefner voice. 
So... Story's book sheds additional, character-exposing light on E. Von D.'s reaction to these convictions, specifically that Von Daniken's defense centered on his own good intentions. Sure, he may have falsified his books and faked references in credit applications, but financial institutions are supposed to double-check the information that applicants provide. After all, they must know that many of these applications are filed by liars who are bad with money. In other words, it's the bank's fault for giving a rapscallion like him the money in the first place? Isn't that the Trump Corporation's defense in the New York fraud case against his businesses? Birds of a feather defraud together, I guess, Dana. But there's more, and it reflects on his attitude as a writer. Here, we're going to quote directly. He held that a writer, in his eagerness to realize an idea that obsesses him, may sacrifice things, even moral values, he would otherwise hold dear. Going on. His readers, like credit institutions, must bear the responsibility of satisfying themselves of the validity of his claims and methods. Back to Playboy. Once the interview proper gets started, it's clear on one hand that Ferris has no time whatsoever for Von Daniken's nonsense, but on the other hand that he is as fascinated by this weird fabulist as I am. At one point, he tries to pin EVD down on the many, many inconsistencies in his theories and worldview. For example, in Chariots, he uncritically adopts some passages from ancient texts as nearly verbatim descriptions of some ancient astronaut technology or other. The wheel of fire that the prophet Ezekiel saw in a vision, for example, is to Von Daniken a detailed, realistic depiction of a visiting alien spacecraft. But then he dismisses all of the declarations that emanated from this vision, the very words of the Lord, the whole point of the story in the original text, as so much religious hogwash. Von Daniken responds, it's true that I accept what I like and I reject what I don't like. Every theologian does the same. Everyone accepts just what he needs for his theory, and to the rest he says, well, that's just a misunderstanding. To which an astonished Ferris responds that von Daniken doesn't claim he's doing theology. He claims he's doing science. Not that this sort of cherry-picking is acceptable in academic theology, of course. As the interview concludes, Ferris quotes a contemporary critic who believes Von Daniken's whole career is a deliberate put-on, that he is, in the modern vernacular, a troll. Or more specifically, that he is, quote, the most brilliant satirist in German literature for a century. Von Daniken's absolutely on-brand answer? Yes. Und no. So, he's a credulous con man and a convicted fraud. But why are his big ideas such a big deal? Well, as we noted, his big ideas mostly don't originate with the stocky Swiss ex-con himself. Ronald Story's book names several earlier authors who pioneered the idea of extraterrestrials visiting the planet and interacting with humans in ancient times. We're not going to recapitulate them here, but they hit all of EVD's high points. The building of the Great Pyramid, the Ark of the Covenant being alien technology, the Nazca lines as signals for aliens, etc. In fact, the borrowing led to talk of a plagiarism lawsuit, which led Von Daniken's publisher to diffuse this by acknowledging these books as sources in subsequent editions of Chariots. 
But whether he stole his theories like ill-gotten bank loans or not, he's still the ancient alien's top dog. So let's hear his thesis in his own words. The gods of the dim past have left countless traces that we can read and decipher today for the first time. I claim that our forefathers received visits from the universe in the remote past, even though I do not know who these extraterrestrial intelligences were or from which planet they came. I nevertheless proclaim that these strangers annihilated part of mankind existing at the time and produced a new species, perhaps the first Homo sapiens. This assertion is revolutionary. It shatters the base on which a mental edifice that seemed to be so perfect was constructed. Well, he is confident. You have to give him that. True. But he's not the only hero. Look in a mirror, dear reader. That's right. Simply by reading this stuff, you have also joined the ranks of daring revolutionary geniuses. It took courage to write this book, and it will take courage to read it. Because its theories and proofs do not fit in the mosaic of traditional archaeology, constructed so laboriously and firmly cemented down, scholars will call it nonsense and put it on the index of those books which are better left unmentioned. Laymen will withdraw into the snail shell of their familiar world when faced with the probability that finding out about our past will be even more mysterious and adventurous than finding out about the future. Yeah, you don't want to be one of those blind sheeple experts or laypeople who reject this revolutionary thesis, do you? Von Daniken fans of the world unite. You have nothing to lose but your common sense. Carl Sagan put Von Daniken's project another way in his introduction to Ronald Story's book. And if you think I included this just so I could technologically imitate Sagan's legendary voice, you're not wrong. Essentially, Von Daniken's argument is that our ancestors were too stupid to create the most impressive, surviving, ancient architectural and artistic works. But people hundreds or thousands of years ago were in no significant way genetically different from people today. They had the same hopes and aspirations, organizational skills, and intellectual and artistic abilities. What is more, close inspection of Von Daniken's books show a persistent suppression of the abundant archaeological evidence that these were the constructions of human beings. Ouch. Hearing that must hurt Von D as much as billions and billions of tiny paper cuts. If only. Reading Von Daniken is an exercise in tedious self-congratulation and wild unsupported conjecture most of which is aimed either at explicating ancient texts, like the Bible, in such a weird way that they can be construed as documenting encounters with incredibly advanced aliens, more on this shortly, or detailing the sheer scope of ancient sites like the pyramids and suggesting that this magnificence in and of itself is conclusive evidence that our ancestors could not have built them. Of course, for all of the lifetimes of careful exploration and knowledge that have gone into piecing together the current academic consensus on various ancient cultures, we have only a partial picture of the past. And due to the ravages of time, even the most diligent archaeologists may only be able to assemble a fragmentary view of many of these peoples and their accomplishments. But when our theories about ancient peoples' capabilities are challenged by the scope of their achievements, the correct response is to revise our theories, not to insist that some superintelligent aliens must have engineered the pyramids. Indeed, real experts and qualified professionals are constantly publishing results that demolish assumption after assumption about our forebears' limitations. 
Each discovery proves these societies were more sophisticated, resourceful, and clever than we, in our technological chauvinism, ever gave them credit for. Mundane explanations that properly acknowledge ancient people's ingenuity don't sell 70 million copies, though, and von Daniken is well incentivized to reject modern conclusions that prove our ancestors were, again quoting Sagan, in no significant way different from people today. Von Daniken won't say it exactly, but his writing gives off a vibe as if we, and especially he, must be smarter than these primitives. And because they were so stupid, they simply had to have help from imaginary star people. The whole argument is a gloss on science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke's dictum that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. To illustrate his argument, EVD offers a thought experiment in which a future, space-conquering human civilization makes contact with a primitive culture on a foreign planet. He confidently assumes that these advanced Homo sapiens would attempt to teach the natives some rudiments of civilization and moral development, though it would be impossible to explain these concepts fully to the alien savages. This would lead said alien dummies to write down confused approximations of what they had learned from these human gods, similar to what we read in ancient religious texts. To help civilization develop, we would put the smartest natives in charge of kingdoms and give them radios so they could get future advice from their new deities after the gods' inevitable return to Earth. This, by analogy, is how he explains the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible. A radio that let Moses talk to God and that would electrocute anyone else who got too close. And in definitely one of the weirdest passages in the book, he asserts that our future astronauts, who weirdly in Von Daniken's imagination are all men, 60s sexism having reasserted itself in the intervening centuries for some reason, would fuck certain select, presumably super hot alien chicks in order to impregnate them and give birth to a new, more advanced hybrid race. Hold on, Jesuit. He really said this? Not, not in so many words, but in spirit, yeah. Now, let's for the moment ignore the totally wild and unwarranted exobiology assumptions he makes here, specifically that these creatures are carbon-based and have similar body structures to our own, and not only have DNA as the basis of their biology, but that their totally separately evolved genetic material is somehow compatible with our own, which... Remember that we're like 98 point something percent genetically identical to chimps, our closest relative? And we're both from the same, you know, fucking planet. And of course, reproduction between our two species is not only super gross to contemplate, but also completely impossible. Again, ignoring all that, he's assuming these alien ladies who were subject to completely different biology, evolutionary selection pressures, environmental histories, etc. won't just be able to reproduce with humans, but that their secondary sex characteristics would be so enticing that our horny future dude-only astronauts will be unable to resist laying them down in the tall grass and letting them do their stuff. Okay, so it's Star Trek. Our debonair Captain Kirk's beamed down to the Stone Age planets where everybody speaks English and the local blue and our green chicks with weird forehead bumps and asymmetrical hairdos are so horny for Federation dick that they promptly seduce our heroes who have no choice but to get their space freak on for the good of a developing civilization. Sure seems like it, yeah. And of course, this thought experiment is really designed to convince us that his thesis of ancient aliens contacting and improving humankind is not only reasonable, but nearly inevitable. Assuming, of course, you accept the James T. Kirk bone-down school of interplanetary exchange. Jesus, he got famous for this drivel? 
Super famous, at least in some circles. There are a lot of topics covered in chariots, but some of the most fun are covered in more depth, and along the same lines, by other enthusiasts who followed in EVD's footsteps. So we're going to talk more about each specific subtopic in the Ancient Aliens oeuvre via a dive into other authors and books. Reading chariots, though, is definitely a good time for a skeptical asshole, if only thanks to Von Daniken's breathtakingly inflated sense of his own intelligence and importance, juxtaposed against hilarious dismissals of real experts doing real work in the fields he purports to revolutionize. For example, he writes, It seems the moment has come to introduce a new working hypothesis and place it at the very center of our research into the past. Oh, and what working hypothesis would that be? Would it coincidentally be the same falderall that you're explicating in this very book? He's even more fun whining about the so-called experts and their blinkered unwillingness to throw over all established knowledge and join his club. Listen as he ridicules archaeologists' explanations of the construction date of some Incan ruins. There is no plausible explanation for the beginning or the end of this culture. Of course, this does not stop some archaeologists from making the bold and self-confident assertion that the site of the ruins is 3,000 years old. They date this age from a couple of ridiculous little clay figures which cannot possibly have anything in common with the age of the monolith. Scholars make things very easy for themselves. They stick a couple of old potsherds together, search for one or two adjacent cultures, stick a label on the restored find, and hey presto, once again, everything fits splendidly into the approved pattern of thought. This method is obviously very much simpler than chancing the idea of space travelers in the distant past. Well, yes, it is simpler. Like, Occam's razor simpler. And also credible. The whole book is like this. Von Daniken and his crusaders fighting established science. Or, as he puts it, the new inquisition. In the past, the man who put forward a brand new idea had to count on being despised and persecuted by the church and his colleagues. Things must have become easier, one thinks. There are no more anathemas, and fires at the stake are no longer lighted. The snag is the methods of our time are less spectacular, but they are hardly less obstructive to progress. Now everything is more civilized, and there is much less fuss. Oh, won't someone save us from the tyranny of evidence and logic? And there are so many ways these buzzkills can dismiss daring interpretations like Von Daniken's. Theories and intolerably audacious ideas are hushed up or dismissed by such killer phrases as It's against the rules, always a good one. It's too revolutionary, unequaled in its deterrent effect. So universities won't go along with that. Convincing. We can't see any sense in it. And that's that. At the conference tables of orthodox scientists, the delusion still prevails that a thing must be proved before a serious person may or can concern himself with it. The claim that an idea must be proved before it's worthy of discussion must be news to string theorists, dark matter researchers, neurologists studying theories of consciousness, and every other expert working diligently through repeatable experiment and careful data analysis on every vexing problem in science today. It's amazing that von Daniken's strawman characterization of scientific objections lists a bunch of stuff no scientist worth her salt would demand, yet leaves out the one and only thing he would need to have a scientific reputation match his ego. Evidence. But y'all, he's confident his ideas are going to win the day. It seems as if narrow-mindedness was always a special characteristic the new worlds of ideas were beginning. 
But even if a reactionary army tries to dam up this new intellectual flood, a new world must be conquered in the teeth of all the unteachable in the name of truth and reality. It's been 45 years, but I bet that new intellectual flood will sweep Von Daniken into the first rank of scientists any day now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.